Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. Super excited today for all you chatters out there listening to this podcast. We have with us Father Stephen Bell, who's a Paulist priest. He's the associate pastor at Newman Hall and Holy Spirit Parish in Berkeley, California. And he's going to be with us today to talk about a super important topic for all of us. Uh, the acronym is DEI, but what that stands for is diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. And we'll be chatting about how we can cultivate these things within our ministries. Um, we also have a, this special episode because we have such a great guest. Uh, we have a wonderful download that you can click on where Father has put together some very practical uh, next steps or tips on how to get started with diversity, equity, inclusion in your parish and to help you do it uh, with some success and uh, certainly with God's grace. So make sure you listen to the podcast and click on that download. And without further ado, I want to introduce who's become fast, my friend. We've worked together now just uh, this is our first project, I think, together, but hopefully not the last. Father Stephen Bell, thank you for being on Chattachesis. We're so glad to have you. Deacon Matt, it's an honor. Truly an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Why don't you do me a favor, and for our audience too, I always ask the guests to say a little bit about their ministry context. We have priests and deacons who listen to this from all over the country who are doing all sorts of things. Maybe if you could share a little bit about what keeps you preoccupied and keeps you focused on sharing the gospel. Oh my goodness. Well, my cup runneth over, as we like to say. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, primarily, I am the associate pastor here at Newman Hall Holy Spirit Parish in Berkeley, California, which is the Catholic campus ministry for the University of California, Berkeley. And that certainly takes up the bulk of my time. But I have the added honor of having two other full-time jobs. One is with the diocese directly working with the bishop and uh, other other staff members of the diocese and racial reconciliation, aspects of racial reconciliation that are going on here. Uh, most predominantly a task force for racial equity and justice that has been formed by the bishop's order to address issues of racism, both in the church and in society that is affected by the church. And then I'm also a faculty member and a board member of a fellowship program that teaches seminary and postgrads the work of responsible professional ethics decision making called mm. FASB, Fellowship at Auschwitz for the Study of Professional Ethics. And mm. uh, so we take the we take seminary and cohorts as well as medical law, business and journalism to Germany to do a study on uh, ethics from the lens of World War II so that there can be harm identified within the professions and a decision on how that harm is managed from, mm -hmm. from, yeah, from the decision-making. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. So with all that free time, you know, how's your golf game? <laughs> it's more like uh, croquet. Yeah, I don't think I can get the ball more than three feet off the ground. So. <laughs> well, it's terrific to, to be able to be on here with you and to have you talking about such important issues like DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, we are, as a country, steeped in racial conflict, uh, striving for understanding and healing. Uh, our church is not immune, nor should it be. Uh, our church is full of 
people, be they people of God, people nonetheless. And uh, we are all looking for paths towards wholeness and holiness. And so I'm so excited to do this show with you. Why don't we start with a level set? Um, I know I had a steep learning curve for myself as I approached these issues and began conversations with you about them. Uh, when you hear diversity, equity, inclusion, what does that mean? Why is that significant? Uh, why are these things significant for us? So it's kind of a package set of a program that is definitely taking off within the professional world on how do you create a space for everyone that's representative of everyone and also makes room for everyone to have equal footing and equal playing field. Uh, not just for their professional uh, movement, but also for the way in which that organization or institution addresses and attends to the world. So you have those three terms, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that represents three particular intentions on creating that space. Diversity, meaning that it has to represent a microcosm of the society in which the person lives. And you know, there are institutions that would like to be much more prophetic in their diversity. And so to really make space for those who are perhaps even marginalized or held back or impeded in some way in society. Uh, equity is really the big thing because you, we're, we're looking at policies, we're looking at culture, we're looking at historicity that have been perpetuators of this more homogenized understanding of what's norm normal, what's right. And so equity seeks to shake that up so that there can be through new policy arrangements, uh, new cultures, and a changed history or developed, I like to say, not so much changed, but a developed history, room made for all people to advance, to move, to do the work that they've been asked to do with greater freedom and uh, greater autonomy and, um, and transparency. And then inclusion uh, really seeks to make space for a diversity of thought and, and opinion and action so that whatever the institutional corporation uh, you know, does or puts out will be reflective of, uh, of true experience, of, of listen to people. Uh, and, no pre and no presumptions or assumptions are made and integrated into whatever it is that they put out. I appreciate that. I think, again, that level set is very important. Um, and it also brings home a very critical point, which is that DEI in, is not a program in the sense that if you just, you know, like you, it's a prepackaged kind of a thing that a cookie cutter model that will work everywhere for everybody. I know that within your view of DEI Father, there's definitely room for subsidiarity for the local. Mm -hmm. And this is not a lift and shift kind of a thing, but really I go back to your word, not changing history, but, but growing and developing. Uh, and that, that takes buy-in from the local communities or local the organizations that are trying to implement DEI. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and to look at that, at that collaborative process as part of the DEI, uh, I, I like to call it more of a side dish. This is a way to really- I like food, so that speaks yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it's a, it's, a, it's a real good way to promote sustenance because now you have this buy-in, not just personally, but, but uh, collectively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So- Again, a big uh, 
a big picture of things that you've just given us, diversity, equity, inclusion. We have our audience made up of a variety of clergy doing different ministries. Right away, one asks oneself, what's all involved in trying to cultivate diversity, equity, inclusion? What, where do I even begin? What are the factors that need to be considered here? What, what sort of processes need to be developed? So can you kind of help walk us through sort of what are, those, what are the aspects involved in trying to, in this growth, we'll call it this community growth and change or organizational growth and change? I, I'm a stickler to the belief that this is not a, a process that can be imposed. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. has to be invited. Mm. And there ha- because there requires Fine. in this very, very fundamentally a need for introspection. We have to ask ourselves very personally, how much space have we made for the other? You know, and um, Senator Cory Booker actually said something in an interview that I listened to a number of years ago that just completely grabbed me. He said that tolerance is not what we should seek as the ultimate goal of how we view others. Tolerance is just a, a point along the way. It is always acceptance that is the end goal because tolerance simply makes space for the other to, to exist. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking for is something more than that. We're looking for acceptance. And acceptance is actually recognizing the value of the other in your life. Mm-hmm. And so as we kind of go through this process of figuring out how diverse, how equitable, how inclusive we are going to be inevitably or want to be, we have to take a look into ourselves and see how much room we've made for that, for those actions. Um, We also have to come to grips with some realities here, that there has been a lot of pedestrian education given to separation. I mean, there, there is a sense of inclusivity, but the inclusivity, and again, this is just from a pedestrian or a low-end level, is more steeped in sentimentality, uh, in um, just something that is more uh, incidental as opposed to something that is a, a, a true norm or, or a better norm for how we might be with one another. Uh, And and so I I don't think that we have um, been given the wherewithal to think realistically about what that acceptance is going to require of us. But the introspection has to happen because if there's anything on the inside that is preventing that, either through fear, through pain, through anger, through unfamiliarity, then it it, it really presents a great hindrance. So that's the first thing, is to really do some soul searching. Uh, secondly, is to really do some listening. That, that has to be among the first of the, of the strategic tactics in any uh, diversity, equity, or inclusion programming, is that there has to be a time when there are, are listening sessions by those who have been affected or victimized by any practices of the institution as uh, by those who kind of keep the norms of the institution going forward. And so what this uh, looks like very practically for the work that I'm doing here in the diocese with the church is listening to how closures of schools or uh, ways in which uh, liturgical practices have been um, 
put uh, over and above other liturgical practices. And this is not something as, as, uh, as jarring as saying taking out a ritual or something. But what happens when the enculturation that we have been, or the room for enculturation that we've been given through Vatican II uh, is actually stifled by a call for norm that is so steeped in a particular culture or a particular expression that it leaves out other cultural expressions and doesn't make room for the legitimacy of those cultural expressions to come in to the place. Um, and and you know, when we talk about the pra practical, I can give some, some examples about that. Sure. But also about um, you know, who, is, who is fit or, or able or um, I guess I, I guess when we when we look at uh, folks who are who are called to to certain ministries or certain actions of discipleship, uh, what what does fitness actually look like? What are we what are we what are we doing to either promote or uh, lift up certain biases that we have for our own comfort, for our own optics, and those sorts of things. These have advantages to some and great harm to others. And so to really be able to listen to those stories of how people have been uh, harmed by those, by those actions. And then there has to be acknowledgement. And this is a way by saying that uh, the way in which we have gone about doing business is normal. Uh, the culture that we seem to be lifting up and perpetuating here really needs to be opened up for the people of God who are just as intimately knit with Christ as, as we are. Uh, can really find their way into the family to teach us, to lead us, to help us, and to collaborate with us as we do for them. So it's a, and, and it's a way to really kind of widen the we uh, that, is, that is the true body of Christ. And so that's what, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Father. Yeah, and so that's where that acknowledgement really comes into play. And it also confers an intentionality for change, it really makes the room uh, makes the way much more plain for those changes to actually take place. Uh, now, I, I would love to sit up here and tell you that that is a, <laughs> a very straightforward and easy process, but I think we all know better than that. It's <laughs> arduous. It's hard. It's difficult. It's fraught with all kinds of emotions, and it really kind of tears open. Uh, some some wounds that we have held, not just personally, but socially, and uh, in, in the way that we've negotiated life in this country, given given our own history. So we have to look at these things with a with a wider lens than our local reality. We have to we have, we have to look at um, how you know racism and discrimination persists in other areas and how that's informed us. So those are just some openers, I would say. Woo, those are pretty hefty openers. If this is your first time listening to Father Steve and Bell, get used to using the rewind button on your device uh, and also slowing things down. He gives you so much. You give so much, Father, in such a little amount of time. It's like turning on the spigot. It's just flowing over. So I know that I'm definitely going to come back and listen to that again. There's so much to unpack there. And we, and unfortunately, we have such little time too. But I do want to go back to a few things you, you mentioned and just uh, kind of reiterate again and kind of dig a little deeper with you. I, I love that you begin with internalization. You know, let's, let's forget the idea that there's some 
process out there that we're going to superimpose and everyone's going to just automatically buy in and we're going to follow the, the playbook and we're going to run the process and it's going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a people work, uh, just like liturgy, right? Uh, yes. the work of the people that we have to first internalize before we can have that collective experience and uh, sharing that we all desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, you know, to put it in liturgical context, if I show up to mass with with a, with a horrible disposition of participate, I don't want to participate. I don't want to sing. I, uh, I've got uh, reconciliation that is that is left undone with my neighbor before I come to the altar to quote mm-hmm. our Lord. I've, I've got all sorts of things that are eating away at me, and uh, and I then I walk away from mass feeling like I had a bad experience, quote unquote, and then I think, well, what's the point of all this? Why am I even doing this? If, we, if, we're not, if we're not introspecting, if we're not digging inside ourselves first and seeing what's in our hearts, as you mentioned earlier, you know, where are those spaces in our own hearts where we haven't made room for people? Where are the biases that we, what are the biases we carry, et cetera? We can't hope to think that we're going to benefit from participation in, in whether it's liturgy or some kind of process like this. Um, disposition is everything. So I'm so glad you, you started there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I love that you mentioned um, uh, the, 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 move, the listening piece, which is so critical um, with the process. And, and I'll, you mentioned Vatican II. I'd like to mention also um, the new evangelization sort of mm-hmm. vocabulary and the sort of it's our ethos now in the church really since uh, St. John Paul II, Pope John Paul II. Uh, yet we're still in the headspace of, well, new evangelization equals doing something like a program or an event or an activity. And we seem to gloss over often in ministry, listening to people and what is it you need and where are you and what might be helpful and what am I doing that is not helpful? And that's a really difficult question to ask. Um, and lastly, I just want to throw this in there and I want to ask it as a question to bring you back in, uh, the things that you just mentioned and DEI and the connection with the council and really capitalizing on the greatest gift of the church, which is its people. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see Francis's uh, pontificate as sort of aligning well, or as an impetus for DEI programming? Most definitely, most definitely. And, you know, it only takes just uh, looking at some of the things that he does very informally to see how he has completely integrated this notion of, of uh, diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. And for him, I mean, it, it has gone beyond the you know, the vocabulary of programmatics, and it becomes a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that lifestyle is imbued in virtues and values that we hold high, hospitality, love of our neighbor, uh, the recognition of the dignity of every human person, seeing the image of God and everyone whom we encounter. These are things that we hold up and we, and we lift up as, as, um, as wonderful uh, demonstrative ends of our, or, or I should say, um, guideposts of our own discipleship and what we strive to accomplish when we're working as people of goodwill towards the, 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 you know, the call of Christ and, and the, the glory and to the glory of God. So this is, this is lifting up all those sorts of things. So just a couple of, uh, of examples him kissing the feet of the uh, of 
of our sisters and brothers who were homeless uh, and, and the beginnings of his pontificacy was massively impressive. Uh, him, you know, shirking off <laughs> his, his uh, secret service detail mm -hmm. to go and to, and to hold the hands and, and hug others. And, you know, him allowing uh, young, young people who are afflicted with certain mental illnesses or social ailments to roam freely in the altar space, mm -hmm. you know, with him lovingly accepting them where they are and also inviting everyone else to do it. I mean, these are wonderful examples of that. Uh, when, the, when the awkwardness of the situation does not override our call to love, then we have this, this, this idea of really living in our hearts. It's become a lifestyle. I, I love that. And we're going to go right back to what you just said at the end there. Uh, I want to say something, though. Uh, I knew that, that Francis was going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, back that year. I forget it was a 2013 or 14 when, when he kissed the feet and it got so much attention. And uh, the reason I knew he was going to be a force to be reckoned with was he got, I think, 10 million more tweets than Justin Bieber had that year. And Justin Bieber had just broken up with his girlfriend. So that was huge. So the fact that he outpaced Bieber, he was going to be a big, a big star. Yes, yes. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, my, my instinct <laughs> that was, uh, was my family members who are not Catholic fell in love with him during that time. Wow. And I, I'll never forget how excited they were. They're not even Catholic. Right. One Church of Christ, uh, actually a couple of them are Church of Christ, which at a particular time in our history used to preach against the Catholic Church and the Catholics yeah. used to preach against them. Mm -hmm. uh, two of them are Jehovah's Witnesses and one's a Baptist preacher. And mm -hmm. all of them were excited when Pope Francis came to town. <laughs> <laughs> and they went out there to see him and everything. They're like, we Fantastic. love that man. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So let's let's go back to um, really we're putting this uh, diversity, equity, inclusion within the context of evangelization, saying there's a natural space for it. It mm -hmm. ought to be part of our evangelical mentality. Uh, it ought to be something we carry within our hearts. Um, why? So let's let's put this right to our audience. Why is DEI critical mm -hmm. to the call to love as a priest or deacon? Mm -hmm. Very basically, our call to love is not exclusivized. Mm -hmm. In the way in which we read it from the gospel message and what Jesus calls us to do in this quest of love. And, and by the way, Jesus is just simply keeping the message going that we first heard in Leviticus. And so when, when, uh, when we hear from uh, the law of Moses, the law of the Lord to the people, to love God with all of who we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves, that means there is no exclusivity. And even when our neighbor is outside of the community, that does not mean that our love ends and it doesn't mean that our love is compromised. And in fact, when we do show that love as Jesus did, as he walked on this earth in his, uh, in his great ministry of, of uh, demonstrating what true discipleship is, he went to the margins. He went to those who were not acceptable in society to remind them who they were and to remind us of our responsibility and our call to love them back into a sense of belonging. And so that's the very first thing is that uh, do not exclusivize or, or 
juridicate our own love. Secondly, uh, hospitality has been our big call since the very beginning. And it's used as a tool and a tactic for sure, but also a culture. Uh, how do we actually uh, propel and foster a culture of welcoming so that we can be stronger as much as we understand the we? I think that anybody, would, anybody who finds themselves isolated or particularized, when they take a good look at their situation, sees it for its, for its uh, error, for, for the things that it actually uh, does not allow. And for many of us who are really looking for the more, that's where we're finding the deficit. You know, something, those of us that are, that are looking for a, a sense of, a sense of more, either, either more in terms of the gravitas of our purpose, more in, in terms of the depth of our connectedness, more in terms of being known and being seen and being able to see and to know the other. Uh, we find ourselves so guarded in those situations these days because of you know, what we have going on and how we are with one another, uh, that there is a great call for hospitality. There's a great call to let somebody in, to bear our souls in safety, security, great respect, and the recognition of the dignity, of our dignity to another person. And we have a desire to do that for someone. Um, the fact that it's so, uh, that those moments are so ensconced uh, and, and given such credibility only in, in romantic context, I think is, is, is an unfortunate, it's an unfortunate distraction uh -huh. because that is, a, that is a need for all of us, a fundamental need for all of us to feel grounded, to feel worthwhile, uh -huh. to really access the truth of who we are uh -huh. and to live that way. So, yeah. I love that you landed on hospitality and um, uh, I wish I remembered the author's name, but I'm reading through a commentary right now on Luke by a Jesuit, just wonderfully done, artfully done. And he takes the entire gospel and puts it within the context of hospitality. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that is driven home there is the vision of Jesus who not only calls people to change, but he, but to, the, to the whole point of our discussion here, really, what he does is he, he recognizes that this person is doing something in their life that, and there's reasons why they're doing it. And what I hear people jump to all the time when we talk about accompanying people or being merciful to people is, well, they have to know that they've sinned, though, and that they're sinners and that they need to change. And it makes me wonder do they not know that what they're doing is wrong? Like the, like the woman caught in adultery. Right. You, don't think, you don't think she knew what she was doing was wrong. But the question is, why are you, why are you doing this? What has led you to live this way? Mm -hmm. And how can I help you? What do you need in this, in this, in this point of time and in this state of life or maybe non-living that you're in? So to help you. You know, it's not a reminder, don't sin anymore. I know Jesus does say that, but he always brings that within the context of the hospitality. What can I give you? What right. do you need? Go right. Ahead. He loves first. 
She loves yeah. first. And you know, that the, the woman called an adultery is a wonderful example of how he did that. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I mean, the great story of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. it's often used as a, as, a, um, as a great analogy or allegory, I should say, for the sacrament of, con- of reconciliation for confession, which from, from many perspectives it is. But I, I would submit that most notably, it is the example of the overabundant love of God for his people. He is crazy about some us. <laughs> and so to know that the father who sees the son in the, at the distance runs off to him and the son with the intention of being incredibly, incredibly uh, contrite for his sins and accepting, you know, the, the, the food that is given to the, to the pig tenders uh, is suddenly amazed by this love that the father shows when he runs out to greet him, gives him a big hug, kisses him, throws a robe over him, puts a ring on his finger, and it's fatted calf for the party tonight, mm-hmm. y'all, so come dressed, mm-hmm. you know? And what does this actually say about what God's love does when it is given first, mm. not reserved for someone's change, but given to accommodate and to inspire someone to change. (laughs) I love that scene. Let's go back to the prodigal son. Uh, His father sees him and he runs out and the son has already rehearsed Mm -hmm. this apology and he can't even get it out of his mouth before the father's already embraced him, already embraced him. That love's already given. And uh, to your point about what would our what would it do to our ministry? How how powerful? How impactful would it be mm-hmm. uh, if we led first with love? And I I I like to see uh, cultivating diversity, equity, inclusion in our parishes and our ministries as an act of accompanying people. And I think accompaniment, Father, has has gotten a bad rap. Uh, I think it needs to be disabused of all sorts of incorrect notions that it's simply a uh, sort of a, the goal is to help people feel good about themselves and that's where it ends. I'm okay. You're okay. Kind of a thing from the seventies, uh, moral relativism. There's no conversional path. That's all incorrect. This is, is very much rooted in the path of conversion and holiness. It is indeed. I, you know, um, sociologists and, and psychologists will tell you or will reaffirm what we've already, what we've always known through scripture that there is always a need for belonging. And once someone feels that they belong, they flourish. It is that search for belonging that gets people into those places of of looking for other sources of happiness and joy, looking for ways to escape from the world, looking for ways to numb the pain of being disconnected and not being um, attached to something that gives them true identity and true purpose. It's I wish we had another half hour. To, yes, I wish we had another <laughs> half hour to talk about this. I do want to re- reiterate again at, at the end of this podcast, please do click on our link to Father Bell's download, which is a, a tip sheet on how to get started with cultivating diversity, equity, inclusion in your ministry. Um, I do want to say, Father, do you want to give us a little teaser, like maybe yeah. a, a one, one practical step here, and uh, then we'll kind of wrap things up. Absolutely. So for the purposes of, of, of introspection, I say do your normal day. And in fact, try to find yourself out into a public place. So go to a grocery store, go to a bank, drive on the road, drive on a place or go to a place that, that has you to, enco- to encounter 
you know, the, the, the truth of the world, as it were. And the object is to check yourself, to really kind of look and see how do I respond or react to certain people? And, you know, put this in a really good context, pray for them and pray for yourself uh, to see them as, you know, as your kin, as brother or sister, so that that sacred relationship can have a seed that can be that can be really nourished. So that's one thing for for personal, for for group efforts. I say learn how to cook. <laughs> so definitely, because a meal is going to be a wonderful conduit for this opportunity to listen to one another. So make a meal or put out a really nice table. Invite. Some, some of your holy brothers and sisters that you haven't had a chance to really connect with and go around and just share stories and, and really engage in that process of just listening. Don't, don't fix it. Don't try to respond to it. Just listen to it and honor it. And even in the discomfort, know that there's grace and look to find the grace in those situations. So those are two things. And, I, and I'll have those on the sheets for sure. Sure. I really appreciate that. Again, we've got that download. Do click on it. Uh, just share us with us your contact info, and that download is yours. Funny you mentioned cooking. Our Lord, of course, is perfect, but he must not have been a good cook because he was always inviting himself to other people's homes. Dinner. And then even the Last Supper, he had somebody else prepare it. And uh, it just makes you wonder, hey, is he just not cooking, or what's the deal here? So at any rate, hopefully the food in the kingdom is just divine, huh? I'm sure yeah. it is. Um, Father, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your current ministry, um, for your spirit that you shared with us, for your conviction, um, and for the jumpstart that you're giving us to, to look at really the complex issues that are going on in our society. They're overwhelming, but I think what you're giving us today is a path um, that'll help us take steps, that'll, that, that'll move us through a little bit and, and with the goal of bringing us more together, which my goodness, aside from the, the social divisions that we're all experiencing right now, we've been hemorrhaging Catholics for, for decades and decades. We're, we're mm -hmm. losing them and we want everyone to come back. But so again, I very much see this conversation on DEI rooted in accompaniment, rooted in evangelization. So if you're mm -hmm. a minister out there, a priest or deacon, you're, you're scratching your head saying, I don't think this is for me. Uh, it is. It's, it's part and parcel of the gospel Absolutely. message I call to love. So thank you, thank you for your time. And Father, would you offer us a blessing? Absolutely. Uh, just before getting to that, Deacon Matt, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here and also for your ministry, your ministry of really attending to these issues and trying to break through the overwhelming uh, sense that people have, and particularly our, our sisters and brothers who are involved in leadership in the church, just really helping to break through that wall so that there can be some possibilities. Thanks for what you do in that, in that vein. I appreciate that. And so let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your call to discipleship for each one of your people to go forth with a unique brick to build your kingdom and to use it through their yes. We ask that you continue to empower our yes, particularly in times of challenge and times of difficulty. For we know that when we persevere in faith, all things are possible and that your power shall not ever be superseded by anything against it. So let us of good heart and goodwill, let us of upstanding mind that is directed to you, let us 
with hearts full of love and hopes full of your glory, go forth with your blessing and with your spirit to accomplish your great works for the good of your people and to the glory of your name. We ask these things as we ask all things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. We were chatting with Father Stephen Bell, Apollos Priest, Associate Pastor of Newman Hall, Holy Spirit Parish in Berkeley, California, talking about diversity, equity, inclusion. If you're not familiar with this, get familiar. If you're not sure it's part of uh, your, your, your role as a minister, be reassured it is. And check out the download at the end of this podcast uh, to help you get started with cultivating these things in your parish. Father, thanks again. And thank you all out there in Chattachesis world. God bless you. We'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.